Welcome to the podcast for Windsor Road Baptist Church. Prepare your heart to receive God's message. It's good to see you at church today. Great to have your company. About a month ago, we um, did a three-part sermon series uh, on the hard sayings of Jesus. The sayings of Jesus that make you go, Jesus, I wish you didn't say that. Perhaps we might do another series similar to that, but this one on difficult passages in the Bible, and they overlap. And I'm sure all of us have many of these difficult passages, uh, but mine comes from Hebrews chapter 11, often referred to as the chapter on the Bible's hall of faith or the heroes of the faith. It gives us a list of men and women from the Old Testament commended as people who lived by faith in God. We have one list found in verses uh, 32 to 34. Now read it. Do I have that? I don't have that. There we go. Okay. What more shall I say? I do not have time to tell about Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, about (laughs) David and Samuel, and the prophets who through faith conquered kingdoms, administered justice, and gained what was promised who shut the mouths of lions, quenched the fury of the flames, and escaped the edge of the sword, whose weakness was turned to strength, and who became powerful in battle and routed foreign armies. Well, the thing you immediately noticed in the list of uh, people there is that they're all flawed characters. But I reckon Samson takes flawedness to a whole new level. Don't you think? Yeah, Samuel, yeah, he's flawed, but he deserves to be there. Samson, as we will read his story, told in the book of Judges from Judges 13 to 16, you'll be left wondering why his name is even on that list. Well, that's, that's, the, that's how I felt. It is one of the most uh, popular stories in the Old Testament, and Samson was the last and the best known judge of the 12 judges, which included a woman, Deborah, who ruled over Israel following uh, uh, before the time of the kings. The word judge doesn't mean in the way we commonly understand the English term. Only Deborah served in this legal capacity as judge. The others were leaders, deliverers, which is what the Hebrew word translated as judge also means. Now, while Israel was miraculously delivered from slavery in Egypt and brought into the promised land, they were still not in complete possession of the land. The Canaanites had not been fully driven out. But God said to the people of Israel, if you worship me and worship me alone, if you follow my ways, if you obey me and rely on me to keep you and give you victory, The promised land will be yours in full, but bit by bit. Tragically, they turned away from God. They rebelled against God and did what was right in their own eyes. Judges is a historical account of how they broke their covenant with God and the terrible consequences that followed. They began adopting the beliefs the practices of the people around them, which included not just idol worship, but something damning and horrible as child sacrifice. 
And what we have in the book of Judges are despicable people doing despicable things to one another. If you haven't read the book of Judges, it is a hard read. Israel, that is Abraham's descendants, you remember from last week's sermon, her destiny is God's chosen instrument to bless the whole world was on the line. They were in danger of losing their identity, their values as the people of God. To help them get back on track, God allowed Israel to be conquered and oppressed by surrounding inhabitants. What God allows, he will redeem. So after a while, under oppression, the Israelites were crying out to God for mercy. And God in his great kindness and grace and love would deliver them through a judge who would then usher in a period of peace. The cycle would repeat about six times in the book of Judges with each cycle spiraling downward. Even the leaders, the deliverers became increasingly flawed, failing in their efforts and having less and less of a redemptive impact on the nation and the people. This is the backdrop to Judges 13 when we're introduced to Samson as we continue with our sermon series on a child is born, the miraculous birth of the Bible. As I said last week, each of these miraculous births point to uh, God's ultimate rescue plan for humanity through the virgin birth of his son, Jesus Christ, on Christmas Day. So we're going to read Judges 13 now, and I strongly encourage you to turn to your Bibles or to your devices because we're going to read the whole chapter together. Okay, I'm going to read, and then you can follow. Uh, otherwise, I, I fear that you might fall asleep. <laughs> yeah, someone agreeing there, so I take that. Okay, so Judges chapter 13, uh, we're going to read the whole book. A whole chapter, I mean, uh, starting with verse 1. Again, the Israelites, again, that's a refrain there. Again, the Israelites did evil in the eyes of the Lord. So the Lord delivered them into the hands of the Philistines for 40 years. A certain man of Zorah named Manoah from the clan of Danites had a wife who was childless, unable to give birth. The angel of the Lord appeared to her and said, You are barren and childless, but you're going to become pregnant and give birth to a son. Now see to it that you drink no wine or other fermented drink and that you do not eat anything unclean. You will become pregnant and have a son whose head is never to be touched by a razor because this boy is to be a Nazarite, dedicated to God from the womb. He will take the lead in delivering Israel from the hands of the Philistines. Then the woman went to her husband and told him, a man of God came to me. He looked like an angel of God, very awesome. I didn't ask him where he came from. I didn't tell me his name. But he said to me, you will become pregnant and have a son. Now then, drink no wine or other fermented drink and do not eat anything unclean because the boy will be a Nazarite of God from the womb until the day of his death. Then Manoah prayed to the Lord, pardon your servant, Lord. I beg you to let the man of God you sent to us come again to teach us how to bring up the boy who is to be born. God heard Manoah, and the angel of the Lord came again to the woman while she was out in the field, but her husband Manoah was not with her. 
The woman hurried back to tell her husband, he's here, the man who appeared to me the other day. Manoah got up and followed his wife. When he came to the man, he said, are you the man who talked to my wife the other day? I am, he said. So Manoah asked him, when your words are fulfilled, what is to be the rule that governs the boy's life and work? How are we going to raise this kid up? The angel of the Lord answered, your wife must do all that I've told her. She must not eat anything that comes from the grapevine, nor drink any wine or other fermented drink, nor eat anything unclean. She must do everything I have commanded her. But Noah said to the angel of the Lord, we would like you to stay if you can until we prepare young goat for you. The angel of the Lord replied, even though you detain me, I will not eat any of your food. But if you prepare a burnt offering, offer it to the Lord. Manoah did not realize that it was the angel of the Lord he had been speaking to. Then Manoah inquired of the angel of the Lord, what is your name? That we may honor you when your word comes true. So he still doesn't realize he's speaking to an angel. He replied, why do you ask my name? It is beyond understanding. That's an interesting answer, isn't it? It's beyond understanding. Then Manoah took a young goat together with a grain offering and sacrificed it on the rock to the Lord. And the Lord did an amazing thing while Manoah and his wife watched. As the flame blazed up from the altar toward heaven, the angel of the Lord ascended in the flame. Seeing this, Manoah and his wife fell with their faces to the ground. When the angel of the Lord did not show himself again to Manoah and his wife, Manoah realized then it was the angel of the Lord. We're doomed to die, wife. We're doomed to die. We have seen God because that was the belief that if you saw God, you're dead meat. But his wife answered, if the Lord meant to kill us, he would not have accepted a burnt offering and grain offering from our hands, nor shown us all these things, or now told us this, or now told us this. The woman gave birth to a boy and named him Samson. He grew, and the Lord blessed him, and the Spirit of the Lord began to stir him while he was in Mahanadan between Zorah and Eshtol. What an extraordinary, miraculous birth. You couldn't ask for a better head start in life than that, could you? Set apart for God at birth. Samson's mom and dad would have been forgiven for believing that their son would grow up to be this godly, dedicated lover of Yahweh. And the greatest deliverer Israel would ever see. He was gifted by God with extraordinary physical strength. In chapter 14, we see Samson displaying this physical strength, this supernatural strength by killing a lion with his bare hands in self-defense. On another occasion, he took an army, hell-bent on killing him. When he defeated them, we're told that he had killed a thousand of them with the jawbone of a dead donkey. I did some calculation, assuming that uh, it takes him 10 seconds to take a soldier out. One, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10. Killing a thousand men would have taken him close to three hours nonstop hand combat. Okay? All right? Wave, 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 wave. He would have gone on for three hours. Now, who does that? That's an impossible human feat. We know that. And how did he do it? In both of these instances, we're told it was because the Spirit of God 
came down upon him in power. So Samson didn't have to go to a phone booth to become a superman. God himself came and gave him power. But Samson was a deeply flawed individual. He broke his parents' hearts repeatedly. He became a very cocky, rebellious, proud individual. There was a reckless and self-entitled streak to him. For instance, when he decided to marry a Philistine girl, he knew it was the wrong thing. He knew God forbade it. His parents would have taught him that you marry a Jew. But he didn't care. He didn't care. What he wants, he gets. He'd sleep. Uh, he would sleep with wherever he pleased. His divine strength, graciously gifted to him by God, was to be used exclusively and humbly to serve God's purpose and for his glory. Instead, he used it to serve his own interest. He used it to further his own interest. He also had a very short fuse. Acts of violence was his go-to response against anyone he felt wronged or slighted him. And this led to many deaths. He ended up killing lots of people. He eventually came to believe that his success, his physical strength, was his own doing. He deserved it. For whatever the reason, God had blessed him with this strength that it was his gift to keep. And nothing could change it. And this could well explain why he made jokes as he was killing people. That was the guy. As he killed people, he was laughing at what he was doing. He was, make, he was, he was uh, making light of what he was doing by cracking jokes why he was killing people. In short, Samson was a morally weak person. He was a spiritually immature individual. He's like a boy in a man's body. He, he was very childish. To cut the long story short, he was captured and imprisoned by the Philistines after being sold out by his lover, Delilah. Both his eyes were gouged out he was utterly humiliated and in the dumps. At this point, readers like us hold out hope that perhaps this would be, while he's languishing in prison, perhaps this would be Samson's eureka moment when he'd turned back to God in repentance and brokenness. God, be merciful to me, and I'll see what an arrogant person I, I, I am. Unfortunately, that didn't happen. Even his last act of heroism that cost him his life, this is what he prayed prior to the act, that, that picture there. Prior to him pushing the pillars that resulted in, 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 in the Phil, many Philistines dying, this is what he prayed. Oh, Lord God, please remember me. Please strengthen me only this once. Oh, God then I may be avenged on the Philistines for my two eyes. That's what he prayed. Shocking, isn't it? He's in prison. He's in the dumps. He's got no strength. Well, he's starting to get his strength back. His eyes are gouged out. And this is his prayer. God, just give me your supernatural strength 
one more time as an act of revenge against those bloody Philistines who took my eyes out. How dare they? I want to take them down with me. Just give me this strength to do this. Again, we see Samson making it all about himself. His motivation was purely a desire for revenge rather than a desire to glorify God. Indeed, God did use Samson to defeat the Philistines, but it had nothing to do with Samson's character. He may have believed in God, but it would appear that he viewed God as a servant to his needs and wants rather than himself as a servant of the Most High God. So why was Samson held up as a hero of faith in Hebrews 11? How do we make sense of this? Bob Dylan, an American singer, one of the greatest songwriters ever, wrote a song titled, Everything is Broken. In part, the lyrics go, Broken bottles, broken plates, broken switches, broken gates, broken dishes, broken parts. Streets are filled with broken hearts. Broken words never to be spoken. Everything is broken. That is a very apt description, not just of Israel at the time, but our world as well. And the Bible doesn't shy away from calling a spade a spade. The reason why difficult books like Judges and flawed characters like Samson are in the Bible is because unlike the books on which other religions are based, the Bible is not a book of virtues that gives us inspirational stories and moral examples to follow. The narrative in the book of Judges points points us to a need of a true savior and deliverer, not role models, not even good ones like Othniel and Deborah. In the final analysis, there is only one hero in the Bible. He's divine and not human. And he's of course none other than Jesus, God in human flesh. Even the very best of us are flawed, are we not? Even the very best of us are flawed and broken. Only Jesus is perfect and worthy of our complete allegiance and worship. So the first reason Samson is held up as a hero of faith is because he points us to the ultimate true and real hero of faith, Jesus. This is the point that the author of Hebrews is making when he begins chapter 12 after chapter 11, after laying out the heroes of faith in chapter 11, verses one to three, chapter 12. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us, fixing our eyes on who? Jesus, not Abraham, not King David, not Paul, you can draw inspiration, but the one person we need to fix our eyes on, the one person that will sustain us through times of challenges and difficulties is Jesus. It's not what would Paul do, it's what Jesus would do, it's what Jesus is saying to you in your hour of challenge. 
He's the pioneer. He's the perfecter of faith. For the joy set before him, there's our hero of faith. For the joy set before him, he endured the cross. He didn't just see the cross, he saw past the cross. The rewards of his suffering would be that millions of people like you and I would come to faith, you see? Who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured such opposition from sinners, so that you will not grow weary and lose heart. So Jesus is the true hero and savior we need. The mess that the world is in requires God's, no less than God's intervention. And he did intervene by sending his son, born of the virgin birth, to save and deliver us. Nothing less will do. As Ann Voskamp writes, God gives God. That is the gift God always ultimately gives. Because nothing is greater and no one, and we have no greater need. God gives God. God gives God. And we only need to slow long enough to unwrap the greatest gift with our time. Time in his word, time in his presence, and time at his feet. And that is the purpose of Advent. That we slow down and take time and make time and reflect. Be at his, be at his feet, be in his presence, be in his word, be in his company. He's the true hero of faith. The second reason why Samson is held up as a hero of faith is because his story points to a God who relentlessly offered his grace to someone who did not deserve it, did not seek it, nor acknowledges it. And that is Samson. His story, the book of Judges, is about the triumph of grace over sin, to quote the Apostle Paul. But where sin increased, grace increased all the more, so that just as sin reigned in death, so also grace might reign through righteousness to bring eternal life to Christ our Lord. And we saw this amazing display of grace last week with the unconditional and incredibly generous covenant that God made with Abraham in which he said that he would make a nation out of him and his descendants and through them bless the whole world. And as we know, this was of course fulfilled by Jesus, the ultimate descendant of Abraham. Now even though Israel had degenerated into a spiritually and bankrupt nation where everyone did what was right in their own eyes, God continues to preserve them by raising up judges to deliver them from the enemies. I think God's unrelenting grace is like the love of this mother in the story that I read. There was a boy who was the the apple of of the parents' eyes. Tragically, in his mid-teens, the boy's life went astray. He dropped out of school and began associating with a bad crowd. One night, he straggled into into his house at 3 o'clock in the morning, completely drunk. His mother slipped out of bed and left her room. The father followed, assuming that his wife was in the kitchen, perhaps crying, as as had been so often the case. 
Instead, he found her at her son's bedside, softly stroking his matted hair as he lay passed out on the covers. What in the world are you doing, honey? The father said. The mother answered, he won't let me love him when he's awake, so I have to love him when he's asleep. He won't let me love him when he's awake, so I will love him when he's asleep. That son was so undeserving of his mother's grace. But that is the nature of grace. It can't be earned. Andy Stanley wrote, to earn something is to find an equivalent. There is no equivalent where grace is concerned. Grace is birthed from hopeless inequity. Grace is the offer of exactly what we do not deserve. Thus, it cannot be recognized or received until we are aware of precisely how undeserving we really are. It is the knowledge of what we do not deserve that allows us to receive grace for what it is, unmerited, unearned, undeserved. For that reason, for that reason, grace can only be experienced by those who acknowledge they are undeserving. The opposite of grace is not law as it is assumed many times. God's law is actually an extension of his grace. The opposite of grace is simply the absence of grace. Samson's inclusion in the hall of faith only serves the point towards God's unrelenting grace. Amen? That's what it does. And lastly, Samson is in the hall of faith because the Bible, the history of the church, is filled with examples of a flawless God working through flawed people, crackpots like us. The apostle Paul actually likens us to fragile, cracked clay pots. In 2 Corinthians 4 verse 7, we now have this light shining in our hearts. But we ourselves are like fragile clay jars containing this great treasure. This makes it clear that our great power is from God, not from ourselves. It is not that God ignores our flaws, but that he doesn't give up on us because of them. And I say that again. It's not that God ignores our flaws, but he does not give up on us because of them, and he asks us not to give up on ourselves either. It's not that he turns a blind eye to our flaws, but that he sees past them into the person that we can become through Christ who strengthens us. He doesn't use us just despite our flaws. He uses us because, precisely because of our flaws. Besides, if God waited till we got our act together before he, he decides to utilize us for his purpose and mission, nothing would be done. Nothing would be done. Nothing would get done. But if fruitfulness can come about through broken, imperfect, flawed people like us, it becomes very evident, is it not, that it is not because of us, but the flawless God 
working in and through us. And so all the glory and praise goes to him. I'll finish with, uh, with it's, it's like a parable. I think some of you may have heard of this parable. A parable of, of, of a farmer with his two large pots. Well, a man, a farmer, had two large pots that he used to carry from the stream back to his house along a narrow path. Each hung on one end of a pole. Anybody heard of that? Each hung one end of the pole he carried across his shoulders. One of the pots was perfect and never leaked. But the other pot had a crack in it. By the time the man would walk from the stream back to the house, the cracked pot would have leaked half of its water onto the ground. This went on day after day after day after day. This, the man would carry the two pots to the stream and fill them both equally. On the way home, the crack pot would lose half its water while the other pot remained full. The crack pot was ashamed of its crack <laughs> because of its imperfection. It thought it was only able to do half of what the man needed it to do. It longed to be like the perfect pot. After a long time, the cracked pot spoke to the man one day as he drew water from the stream. I'm ashamed of myself, and I want to apologize to you. The pot said, what do you have to be ashamed of? The man responded, because of this crack, the pot replied. Half of my water leaks out on the way back to the house. You'd be better off if I had no flaw. You'd be better off if I was just as perfect as the other pot. I'm ashamed that I have not been able to serve you well because of my crack. The man looked kindly at the crack pot and said, My dear old pot, you haven't failed me. When we walk back to the house today, I want you to have a look at all the beautiful flowers along the path. And sure enough, as they walked home, the pot opened its eyes and noticed for the first time the beautiful line of flowers that decorated the journey home. When they reached the house, the man said to the pot, did you notice that the flowers are growing on one side of the path? They only grow on the side where I carry you, but not on the other pot's side. You see, I knew about your crack. And so I planted flowers all along your side of the path. While we're walking back from the stream, you aren't losing water. You're making the flowers grow. Now everyone who walks along the path looks at the flowers and thinks about how beautiful they are. You bring joy to every person who walks down the path. What you perceive as a flaw is the very thing that gives life to the flowers and brings beauty into the world. I hope you can picture that story. Let's repeat. Samson's inclusion in the Hall of Faith points to three things. Number one, our need of a true savior and deliverer, and he's not human, but divine. And I'm not just talking about salvation here, okay? Don't just think about salvation. Yeah, I know that. He's my savior. He's my Lord. Let's skip that. But is he your Lord and savior in day-to-day -day situations? Do you call on him or do you rely on yourself? Yeah? Don't think salvation. Think about everyday situation. Do you trust him when you hit the wall? Do you trust him in difficult times? Do you trust him 
when you are in need or do you trust yourself more? Number two, Sam's inclusion in the Hall of Faith points to the offer of God's unrelenting grace to people who don't deserve it, seek it, or acknowledge it. And lastly, Sam's inclusion in the Hall of Faith points to the fact that God loves using crackpots. So, as an application this week, pray and ask the Lord to show you which of the three he wants to speak to you more about. Okay? Which of the three he wants to speak to you more deeply about. Let's pray. And then our closing song feeds into that. Yet not I, but through Christ in me. Lord, I commit uh, the, the, the preaching of your word uh, back to you. Seeds of truth have been sown. I ask that you will water these precious seeds. Let not your word fall vainly unto our hearts. Let it return, let it not return to you void. Let it, Lord, bear fruits, I pray. Lord, remove the stones that keep uh, the, the, the word of truth from growing. Help us be aware of uh, the vines that grow around. Your word, as it grows, becomes a seedling, a little plant, but if there are vines there, we're told by you, Jesus, and that parable will choke the life out of it. Many things, Lord, as we walk out of here, we'll seek to choke the light of life of what we've just heard so, that's merely, so we merely become hearers of the word and not doers of the word. So I pray, Lord Jesus, that you will preserve whatever it is that you've spoken to us about this morning. Preserve it in our hearts. Help us wrestle with it. Help us turn to you with it, especially during the time of it, Advent that we don't rush from one thing to another, that we don't fill our lives, fill our hands with so many things that we hardly have breath, hardly have time to catch our breath and turn to you. So, Lord, may we this week make time to consider one of those three things that's a part of your message to us this morning. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Thanks for listening. We hope that you have been blessed by the message. Windsor Road Baptist Church is a growing intergenerational and international community of people committed to whole life discipleship. Please visit us at windsorroad.org.au to connect with us and to learn more about our church.